Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. We are at Amador Wine Country again, still at the Outstanding Four Fires Festival in Plymouth, just like last week. Actually, this is sort of last week. We just had so much fun taping. We're doing another show and in front of this massive audience, which has grown to <laughs> a capacity I'm, I'm beyond the ability to even estimate now. I'm, but I'm, I'm. Take your shoes off, Rick. I'm thinking six figures at least, at, at least. Uh, that's you think. And, uh, and, and they're still here. Thank you for being so tolerant. And once again, we'll be answering lots of questions. We've got uh, all our usuals, including one about uh, scorched earth and gluten-free wine. That's always good. Plus, our horrible wine writing this week is semi-translucent, vibrantly benevolent, and as usual, of course, we will be making fun of wine snobs, and there are none of them here. We know that for sure. By the way, we remain a fixture on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. That's Sacramento's NPR station. We are in a special category of Capital Public Radio Recommends. And they're helping sponsor four fires and are getting here. That's very nice of them, don't you think, Paul? We can only hope that they're not all going to go directly off the deep end because of this. Yes. Well, now we're about to ask you all the question uh, before we take some of yours. So if anybody has an answer, feel free to shout it out. If not, we've got our own, which is... What is the least useful wine advice you've ever gotten, besides the, all the least useful wine advice that you've gotten from us? But what is the least useful wine advice? Anybody? Yes, sir, you shout it out. What, what wines you sh you're saying the advice of what wine? Because you think you drink the wine you like and the food you like, and that's good enough. Yeah, that's. No, you can't say that because that's my line. That's that's a pretty good. That's, that's pretty exactly good advice. Exactly what I say. You know, the, my, my least useful advice, uh, well, Paul, go ahead and tell them yours because I'm going to show mine. Well, I can't actually show mine. Okay, because I I'm absolutely a, agree with you. Remember the old, the old advice used to be red wine with red meat, white wine with my, white meat, right? Except that it makes no sense at all because half the time we're eating chicken, we're eating pasta, we're eating duck. Is that red or white meat? We're eating pork. Is that red or white? It doesn't help anybody anyway. So first of all, I would say if you have to match something, match the color of the wine with the color of the sauce. That way, if you spill it on your shirt, nobody can tell whether it was the wine or the sauce. Right. It's a simple philosophy. It's really, it's, it's really good. My use, least useful bit of advice was somebody, more than one person who told me that you shouldn't hold your wine by the bowl or the stem, but that you should hold it by the base because that will keep the wine from changing temperature. Okay. As, as, as the people in the radio audience can yes, see. Yes, right, as the, the holder by the base. Now, we've all seen the guy that's holding, and it's always a guy who's holding by a base. That guy's usually wearing an ascot or something, right? You know, that is, it makes, the wine is gonna do just fine, and frankly, holding it in your hand is not gonna change a whole lot. Well, we heard either. earlier today, we heard, uh, our friend David Glancy, the master sommelier, said right. that he loves to drink out of these stemless glasses because they're so easy. So, right. yeah. Yes, and I was about to show you that, but I was going to spill my wine. Another reason you can't do that. All right, now we are going to take a couple of questions. Once again, thank you for listening to the Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time to take questions from our listeners and from you. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, rickandpaulwine.com, or you can find us on that Capital Public Radio website. Just go to 
Podcasts, Capital Public Radio recommends. Amazing, Paul. Recommend. Amazing. All right. We have a question from the audience, and this was from Mike from Ion. Is that Mike? That's uh, uh, somebody with an M and an I from Ion. How do magazines choose a best winery of the year when the winery doesn't even have a tasting room? Ooh. Ooh. So I think uh, Mike's got a, a wine in time. Well, how do wine magazines choose a winery of the year is a good question right there. Well, first of all, they usually start by saying which wines got really good scores in the magazine over the course of the year. Now, remember that some of these magazines may have offices in San Francisco or Napa, but some of them may only have offices in New York. So whether the winery has a tasting room or not doesn't enter in the equation. The only thing they're really interested in is how many wines have they tasted that got really good scores? And then some of the magazines also layer another element on top of that that says, got good scores, a lot of wines, a lot of wines got good scores, and prices are pretty reasonable, that's your wine of the year. But it's an ever-changing kind of, what is it they call in, a, in software? It's a... It's, it's, uh, it's, well, it's anyway. thingy-majig. Yeah. It's an ever-changing thing. It's an ever-changing equation there. there you and go. the whether or not they have a tasting room, it's not on the equation. It is not part of the equation. That's exactly right. And even if they go, it, sometimes it might be the best destination, but they rarely actually talk about the, the service of the winery or the, now, it, that sort of thing. If the publication is local, if you've got a local Amador publication that's doing that and the winery doesn't have a tasting room, then I think that's wrong. But for a magazine in New York or Chicago or San Francisco to say this is a great winery, winery of the year, and the fact that they don't have a tasting room doesn't matter to people in Texas or Oklahoma or Florida or anywhere else. Yeah. No, it does not. All right, here comes uh, a question. Uh, this is, um, speaking of magazines, this is from Jennifer from Folsom. I read a review in Magazine Name Reviewed, so we don't get sued, describing a wine as having a scorched earth character. What does that mean? That's kind of our approach, actually, to doing radio shows. It's the scorched earth. Uh, scorched we leave a path behind <laughs> us that nothing will ever grow again. It, I, I don't know how you know what a scorched earth character in the nose is unless you actually served in the military and used a flamethrower. I, I don't know how else you would know what that smells like. Rick, what does scorched earth smell like? Well, you take some earth, and then you scorch it. Uh, and then you, you put it, it on an ironing board and you just yes. leave the iron on yes. it too I have, I have scorched earth shirt, you have shirt character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, it's the, the, over, exactly. the, the burnt shirt. Uh, it's, you know, as uh, those of you who are sitting out here for our previous show know that often wine writers are just reaching for something. Desperate. They yeah. are desperate people. And it might have just been a little bit of smokiness in the wine. They decided, if you said smokiness, you would look so common. We aren't common. We are, we are uncommon we strive to be common. We are below common. <laughs> We're climbing the ladder for common. Common is, what is the bar we hope to leave yes, over one some, day. Yes, someday, Paul, we aspire to common. <laughs> that, that would be nice. But that's often the why you get those really awful descriptions is because it's that sort of thing. Um, all right, we have another one uh, um, that uh, I had. Ah, this is from Howard from Antioch. It's, this is a really common question, actually. We get this one a lot. This is a good one. Are grape variety and grape varietal the same the same thing. I see them used the same way often. Uh, are they the same thing, Paul? This is kind of a geeky question. It is a geeky question. It's not a geeky question, but the answer is kind of geeky. Well, that's because you're giving it. So No, it's because I was going to say, so that's why I'm going to let Rick give this answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 
It has to do with adjectives. No. No, the answer is no. And, and nouns. Yeah. So, okay, variety is the grape. Right. Yeah. Barbera and Zinfandel are two grape varieties. The wines made from Barbera and Zinfandel, those are uh, varietal varietals. Wines. So, in fact, varietal wines, varietals, and adjectives. So, the differences between an adjective and a noun. And if you have to study grammar to enjoy wine, you're doing something wrong. Yes. Okay, we have a question from Debbie from Sacramento. Debbie, this is an awesome question. You are so completely right. This is even, it's even worse in food, in food and wine pairings. But let me read her question. Her question is, what's the use of a top-rated wine review in a magazine if you can't find the wines at the stores or online? What is the use? Well, zero, really. Well, actually, <laughs> but, it's to make you really envious of the people exactly who tasted the wines. Exactly, yes. It's, there you go. That's it's like, look at what I can do and you can't. Nah, nah. Did we tell you about the wine we drank last night that you can't get? Yes. That's yes. exactly yeah. the same situation. And don't you love that? I love when they, they have you know, a reviewer on, and it could be something this really common. You see this actually when they're on some of the morning shows, like the national morning shows. And they say, well, we're, we're going to have a hamburger at lunch. What goes good with hamburger? And what you want them to say is Zinfandel, Cabernet, something, sparkling wine. And they're going to say one of the delicate red wines from Chiverny in the Loire Valley of France. But only in 1979. <laughs> it's, it's a wine that you can't find, and if you could, you couldn't afford it. That's the review, and it's, it's a, this combination of, in some cases, it's just simple jerkiness, uh, but in many cases, it's the, the little cocoon that happens in the wine world, which is that the wine folks talk to each other, so they forget that the rest of the world doesn't know that thing. But the other time of it is that sometimes it's just trying to show, look what I know. I can go reach into the 1979 cellar of some little well, tiny chateau the somewhere. Is, the people writing those things, they don't buy wine for a living. They get 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 bottles a year shipped to their house. Yes, yeah, I yes. Agree. Uh, Debbie said she wants to be one of those. She wants to be one of those don't people. we all? Yes. The, the downside is that Paul and I will make fun of you. So um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting I know you. you couldn't live with that. Yeah, I'm thinking you could. No, most, most, could. Some, somehow the wine industry has managed to survive our scathing comments <laughs> yeah. about them. I think so, she'll be just fine. Well, speaking of, of scathing comments, it's time for us to, uh, to turn to some really horrible wine writing. Yeah. Well, I seem to be on a kick these days of making wait, fun wait, of... Wait, wait, wait. We're going to oh, do I'm some sorry. really horrible wine writing before you start kicking because we... We have to listen to our music. We do. The and famous bad wine writing music. Hit it, Matt. Uh, yeah, that, it almost makes it worthy of putting up with the wine writing. So, all right, so, so Paul. So I'm on a kick of making fun of wine writers who absolutely don't tell you anything about the wine. They just talk about it as if it were people. So this is a flavorful white wine, yet it still has enough restraint and discipline, benevolence, maybe. Okay, read that again, because somebody actually wrote this, lens, this sentence. Flavorful white wine, so that's good to know. It's white and it has flavor. So far, Golden, right? Yet it has enough restraint and discipline. Benevolence, maybe. Benevolence, maybe? First really? of all, maybe. 
Anybody who's a wine critic and uses the word maybe, I'm sorry, either yes or no, no maybes involved. Really, what was that person thinking? Benevolence. Yes, yes. When was the last time you had a benevolent wine, Rick? Uh, I've had a benevolent waiter, <laughs> but uh, no, I. But, uh, yeah, that's not the same thing. I, I did have a couple of malevolent Actually, wines. Actually, anyone who waits on you is going to be benevolent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, had a, I had an angry wine the other day. It was <laughs> ranting about everything. It was really kind of embarrassing. We tried to get it to calm down, but it just wouldn't stop. Would not yeah, stop. It was, yes, it was pointing. It was, it was doing all kinds of bad things. All right, I have I have another one of those knuckleheaded. It goes on. I am just going to read you this start and the most completely useless piece of this review. In the glass, the wine name removed so we don't get wait, sued. Wait, wait, wait. He's clarifying that this is only apparent when the wine is in the glass? Yes, yes, this is the in the glass. Does, the, he, care, does he care about what happens when the wine's anywhere other than in well, the glass? Like when it's on my lap, I don't think he cares. On which the is, shirt. You, we're on off, the, and, and my shirt. We should write reviews on the shirt. The yes. wine has a brilliant red color. Yes, so in the glass, the wine ma- name removed so we don't get sued Merlot wine. There you go again. Go the Merlot, you had to make sure that we knew it was a wine. Is a vibrant, semi-translucent garnet color with a firm, deeply colored core of the wine going out into a finely colored, slightly tinged, light garnet color rim definition on the wine with medium-high viscosity. Honestly, somebody actually wrote hey. that. So here's the deal, is one of my rules is, anytime you talk about wine, red wine is one color. It's garnet. Now, Could what did Rick just say about this wine? Has a garnet core, a, a, a garnet color, no, a garnet core, and a garnet rim. It's a vibrant, semi-translucent garnet color with a firm, deeply colored core of the wine going out to a finely colored, slightly digital garnet rim. Dear Lord. Dear it's Lord. garnet. One word. It's garnet. Move on. Yes. Yes. It's over-filtered. And over-filtered. <laughs> yes. This is a, this, that's, and that was just a description. You sh- that's just what the wine looked like. This writer went on and on about the rest of it. All right. Well, that is it for our horrible wine writing for the day. We are about to take a couple more questions. Uh, reminder, if you're listening and not here in this massive, absolutely massive Four Fires audience here in lovely Amador County, that uh, you can find us at rickandpaulwine.com or at Capital Public Radio on their podcast lineup. All right, so another question we have. This one is from uh, Maria from Sonora. Maria asks, actually, I don't understand this question, and you'll see why in a second. We don't finish the bottle. Sometimes we don't finish the bottle, and the next night the wine tastes better. Sometimes it tastes worse. What is going on? Now, first, I don't understand. I I, I see there are a few people that agree with me. Sometimes we don't finish the bottle. What is this, Martian? I'm sorry. (laughs) But let's just talk theoretically for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I'm in this crowd. My wife and I, between the two of us, we cannot finish a bottle of wine at dinner. So, sorry. It's... It does take practice. Somebody just yelled practice, practice, practice. Exactly right. That's the answer. Then what happens is the wine is exposed to air. Some wines are younger. They're a little fresher, and in fact, like me, they may be improved by exposure to air. Like now. That does not mean you should take your shirt off. Some, some wines are older, like Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep my shirt on because if I expose myself to too much air, I start to be a little tired and cranky. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've seen that. 
So, but you know, and you think about air, right? Slice, slice an apple and stick it on your counter. In 10 minutes, it's brown. I mean, oxygen, our friend oxygen is a really powerful little guy. Big guy, actually, it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and that is what happens to a wine. When it's open, the air gets to the fruit, and the fruit can start to turn brown. Yeah. And if you leave it open too long, it tastes too much like you got it brown. And that's why Rick drinks all his wine within 45 minutes of opening yeah, the bottle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really I'm really just trying to keep it fresh. That's all it is. All right, you got one more. This is from Suzanne in Sacramento. My beer-loving husband can't eat gluten. With him, it's not some shishi diet. It's real. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I keep trying to find him wines he'll like more than the gluten-free beer he chokes down, but he's not big on wine. Any suggestions to get him to start drinking wine? Well, first of all, wine doesn't have gluten in it, so he doesn't need to worry about the gluten No, that's the, the whole wine. point. She's trying to get him to that, drink wine. So yeah. that, that part's easy. Yep. Uh, what would you suggest? Of course, it would help to know what kind of beer he likes. Does he like IPAs, or does he like uh, stouts, or does he like lagers? Well, that's a good question, too. Uh, he probably likes beer. That's <laughs> all I got. I don't know. I got, I, we can, okay. we, I'll so email Susan. Obvious first choice is bubbly, sparkling wine, because yep. it's got the same bubbles and all the rest. And I would say probably for a, a newer wine palette, a slightly lighter, maybe a slight bit maybe, of sweetness to it. Maybe, but if this guy's drinking beer yeah, and maybe. he likes an IPA, yeah. I'm going to suggest something that's got a little bit of that same character in it, like a Fino Sherry or a Manzanilla, yeah. something that's got some texture to it that might be a little meatier than just lightweight wine. Yeah, and I'm going to suggest some white wines and, and maybe something like some of the great white wines that do so well up here in lovely Amador County, like Viognier and that sort of wine. Vermentino. The Vermentino. The very approachable wines. They are um, they're really delicious, and they're really good places to start. But the idea is just to give them, uh, just give them some, some options and uh, open them all up, let them taste it, and, uh, and then when he doesn't drink the rest, we'll come over and drink. On the other hand, if she likes wine and he likes beer, maybe she should just look for a new husband. Yeah, uh, yeah, there, yeah, that's right. Uh, there's that. All right. All right, well, that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Pisini, who's been working this crowd like no one else. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for including us on their podcast lineup and for helping us out today. A massive thank you to Four Fires Festival in Amador County for inviting yeah. us here for treating us well, and for fire hosing the audience to keep them from running off. <laughs> Thanks to all of you out there, and we hope you get dry soon. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, rickandpaulwine.com. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's this. Just because a wine is benevolent, that does not make it your friend. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 